Let's give him another round of applause for doing such a fantastic job. Hey, we love our kids and we love everybody who uh, worked hard to help them do everything that they did this morning. A lot goes into that that, uh, that you don't get to see. And so for all the people who are involved, thank you. Also, for all the mothers out there, uh, we are grateful for you uh, in ways that we cannot even explain. Uh, we are all deeply indebted to our mothers, love them more than we could ever imagine. And uh, I'm going to share with you, uh, I'm going to open us with a word of prayer, and I'm going to share with you two stories that are unrelated to the message this morning, but they kind of encapsulate how great moms are to us and how tough of a job they have. So let's pray real quick. Father, we love you. We thank you for the children that you've blessed us with. Lord, we thank you for each of the mothers that you've blessed us with. And God, I pray that throughout the rest of the service that we would just be able to raise you up high. And we would be able to thank you for the gift that you gave us in each of our moms. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every time you see one of these flowers, I only know a very little bit about flowers and greenery and shrubbery. Uh, I'm, I'm a man with a chainsaw, not a man with a shovel. Make sense? Any of you men out there? I dig up things. I cut down things. I very rarely put things in the ground. And so we lived in South Carolina for a while, and my wife was going to a fabric store with the next door neighbor out of town and we had these ugly bushes in front of our house i mean ugly bushes some of you refer to them as azaleas and you really like them but to me to me they were overgrown and i just i didn't like them uh it come to find out i cut them way back at the wrong time of the year so we went two years and they never looked good at all they were just it just looked like a regular bush to me and so uh, my wife is gone i've got nothing at the house to do and so i hooked the truck up to every one of those bushes and i yank every single bush out of the ground and when she comes home they're just all sitting by the road and i've got this grin on my face that i have just done such a fabulous deed uh for our house and she looks at me like you have lost your mind. I said they were just old and they needed to be cut down and apparently older is better. And uh, anyways, story number one, flowers. Fail for me. Story number two, flowers. Same house. There's not many flowers left because I've dug everything up, run over it with a lawnmower. Uh, there was two full-size trees. I didn't cut them down in the front yard. But there was one of these things right here. I think it's a hydrangea, right? They're beautiful. We're giving them to you as mothers because we love you so much. We had one that was as big around as uh, the center circle on a basketball court. I mean, it was just huge, right? And I'm a pastor, so I preach passages in the Bible that talk about... Uh, uh, God cutting back vines and then vines growing back even more lush. And so some of you know where this is going. In the wintertime, this plant doesn't look good at all, right? Everything falls off of it. And it looks like a bunch of dead branches. And so I walk by this flower bed, and you all know where this is going. And there's just this huge dead bush. And I think, you know, I'm just going to do my wife just a huge favor. And uh, I'm just going to cut that thing back. And next, next spring, it's just going to come back as big and beautiful as ever. And so I cut the whole thing back, right? If you've ever had grapevines, I always hear these people talk about grapevines. And just the more you cut them back, the better that they grow. And so I cut that baby back, and I'm just smiling ear to ear. And my wife comes out one day. <clears throat> it was right next to the, where the grill was. And she says, what have you done to my bush? And I said, I, I cut it back for you, babe. I just, I, I'm just looking out for you. It's going to come back beautiful. She said, you don't cut those things back. And so uh, I tell you that just to tell you, mom's... We love you. And, and sometimes we really are doing the best that we know how. And there's times where we, we dope things up all the time. And we love you for loving us anyways. 
We really do. And so we know that it takes a lot. And we just want you to know that we recognize that uh, when you show us unconditional love, that's exactly the way that God shows us love. And we need his love, and you're a fantastic example of it. Amen? All right. Well, we're in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is verse 4. I want to encourage uh, not just moms this morning, but I want to encourage uh, all ladies and all men as well. And so uh, there's a great relationship between parents and children. But what we're going to talk about this morning kind of transcends just parents and children. And if you have any age on you at all, you have anyone younger than you that looks up to you, uh, just know that they're watching you. And you can encourage them and spur them on to godliness in ways that maybe you haven't ever dreamed of before. I like to do something fun with all of the kids at our church. Whenever I get a chance to do any sort of lesson, I'll ask them questions. Kids always like to be asked questions. And I'll ask them questions like, who in our church do you look up to the most? And I love to hear all of their different answers. And just recently, I asked our students who they looked up to the most. I'm not going to tell you who it was. Just I know that it's a big letdown right now. But these are some of the things that they said. They said, I look up to this person, and I would say, why? And they would say, because they always tell me that they're praying for me, and they're always kind to me, and they seem excited every time they see me. That's a really good thing. Like That's, a, that's one of the benefits of us gathering together, together as the body of Christ. Another one said, so who's your... Who's your um, Who do you look up to the most in the church? And they said, I look up to this person. Why do you look up to that person? And they said, because that person finds anything that we talk about, they find a way to point me to Jesus and they pray for me. Man, that is really, really good. And that's another benefit of us meeting together is the body. And so here we are in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to catch you up with what's happened in the lives of the Israelites. God's created everything you've ever seen in six days. He... um, He's, he's just blessing the world and Adam and Eve are worshiping and they're obeying God in the garden. Adam and Eve sin. They're separated from God. And then God begins a plan in Genesis chapter 12 to draw the world back into a good relationship with him. The world isn't doing the way that it's supposed to, right? Abraham's children aren't obeying God the way that they're supposed to. And so he moves them into the land of Egypt, into slavery until they grow to a big enough group of people that they can inhabit the promised land that he's promised to give them. And so by this point in Deuteronomy, God has gone to his people in Egypt. He's rescued them out of slavery. All of you know the beginning of the book of Exodus. You have 10 plagues that Moses uses to get the, that God uses through Moses to get the people from the strongest land in the world to the promised land where God wants to take them. And God says several times throughout all of these plagues that he's doing all of these things to the nation of Israel so that the world will see what he's doing to Egypt and they'll know that there's a God in Israel. You following me? And so now God has rescued his people from slavery and they're in the promised land and God wants to set them up with rules and an order to their society so that they can follow the Lord the way that they're supposed to in this new land that he's given them. And listen to what he says. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in your house And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them 
as a sign on your head, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so he comes to this land, this nation of Israel, and he tells them, listen, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And he tells these people this because their parents before them didn't do this, right? They spend 400 years in slavery, and when God meets them in the burning bush, when he's talking to Moses... If you go back and you read that story in Exodus about the burning bush, Moses has one question for God at the end of that conversation. And you think that Moses is going to ask this profound thing of God. And he asks God this. What's your name? What do we call you? When I go back to the people and I tell them that I've met you, who do I tell them that you are? And what I want you to see is that over the course of 400 years in slavery, the people got to a point where they didn't even know the Lord's name anymore. They didn't know what to call him. And so God rescues those people. He reintroduces himself to the people through all of the plagues in Exodus. And he sets his people in the promised land. And he tells them this. Gang, when I set you up in the promised land, remember this. Teach your children to love me and to obey me and to worship me with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he wants them to do that because you guys know that we are only one generation from nobody knowing the Lord. And so he wants them that generation, he wants their kids and their grandkids all to be taken care of so that they know the Lord. And so what I want to encourage you moms, what I want to encourage you dads and anybody who has anyone in their life that they're influential, I want to encourage you exactly what God said. I want to encourage you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And I just want you to make sure that the people around you know that you love the Lord more than you love anything else that this world has to offer. That when you come home and your husband has cut down all of your azaleas. That the way that you carry yourself shows your kids that you love the Lord more than you loved those plants anyways. You may be upset at dad for cutting them down. But you love the Lord and you're more excited about what the Lord is doing than anything else. When you take this beautiful plant right here and your husband cuts it back to absolutely nothing. And you couldn't be more disappointed in him if he had done anything in the world, right? I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So that when that sort of thing happens to you, that everyone that lives in your house knows that you're disappointed about that plant. But that you love the Lord far more than you care about any sort of plant. Amen? And the list goes on and on and on. And so we go over to Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 20. And this is more of the commandments that Moses has given to the people. Now it's not just teach them, teach them, teach them. This is now when your children ask. Verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Verse 22, moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his households. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in to give us the land which he had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord, our God, for our good always and for our survival as it is today. It will be righteousness for us 
If we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he commanded us. And so what I want you to see is that God set things up in such a way. He gave the nation of Israel rules and regulations that they needed to follow. He gave them festivals and and, uh, and holidays that they were supposed to keep. And the primary purpose for them keeping these festivals was just so that their kids would ask, why is it that we do this, that, or the other? And God tells his people, listen, when your kids ask you these questions, make sure you give them good answers to what they're asking. And so when your son comes to you and they ask you, why are we doing this Passover celebration? You can tell if you live in this day, you can tell your child because with a mighty hand, the Lord led us from slavery in Egypt out to the promised land. And so, gang, your children ask you all sorts of questions today. Don't they? They ask you what's wrong you tell them what's wrong they ask you why are we doing this why are we going to church this morning why are we going back to church sunday night why are we going to pray on wednesday night and gang all of these things you can use and you can take hold of to teach the next generation everything they need to know about following christ And so there's all sorts of things that happen that you don't even think about on a daily basis. Uh, If you remember, uh, I'm over in verse 7 now. We had a guy named Mark Smith here, and he was using these verses. And he said that when the scripture says to teach them diligently to your sons, he pulled out a knife. And I was like, oh, mercy, what is he getting ready to do with that knife? And he shared with us that the word diligently means like you're, you're scraping a knife on a whetstone to sharpen it. They were to diligently teach our kids. You know what is horrible about a whetstone? I inherited a whetstone from my grandfather, right? It's absolutely useless because he didn't give me the second piece to it. You know what you need in addition to a whetstone? It's not just oil. You know what you need? You need patience. You need patience. How many 13-year-olds do you know work a whetstone and a knife? Zero, right? You have to be 80 before a whetstone works for you, right? You just have to be able to sit there, and you have to be able to work that knife and get it incredibly sharp. Your your kids are going to ask you things. How do we do this? Why do we do this? And you can look at them, and you can give them all sorts of good answers. Why do we have to wake up early in the morning? We were at the ball field all night last night. Son, you need to wake up this morning, because we're going to meet with the rest of of our church family and we're going to worship the lord together why because we love god and sunday morning is the day that we come together with the rest of our church family and we worship the lord but i'm tired son daughter waking up and being tired is worth it if you're too tired to wake up on sunday morning to worship the lord maybe we need to cut out playing ball so you have the energy to worship the lord because that's what's most important How about those sorts of good answers to when our kids ask us things? There's all sorts of other things that happen to us through life that we can use as examples to teach our children lessons. How about you have a, um, how about you lose your health or life brings you into a new season where you can't do the same sorts of things that you used to do before, right? I'm still a relatively young guy, but I'm, I'm entering the years where, you know, when I used to bend over to pick up a ground ball playing with the kids, the ground seems about two or three inches farther away than it was before, right? It's still not hard to get to, but there's times where I bend over to pick up a ball that I would have had before, but now it goes right under my glove instead. Now I have to make just a slight bit of a additional energy to snag that ball off the ground, okay? So 
life goes through some sort of change, how do you embrace it within your home? Do you use it as an example to show your kids how much you love the Lord? Or is it just the end of the world when something like that changes? There's all sorts of other things. When we lose loved ones, how do we handle it? Like our kids are always watching us. They're always watching us. And when we talk about the things of God, when we talk about someone losing a loved one, are we excited to go to heaven because we get to see that loved one? Are we excited to go to heaven because there's a Savior who paid the penalty for our sins, loved us unconditionally more than any mother ever could? Are we excited to see Jesus? We're just excited to see the loved ones that have gone on before us. Right? These are all times that life naturally gives us where we can be exactly what our kids need us to be and teach them how to carry themselves. And I just want to share with you, your kids and people that you have influence over, they pick up so much more by observation than they do by what you teach them with your words. There was a time where uh, we lived in South Carolina. All of our family lived in Virginia. And our family would come in to visit, and Jesse and I would get a chance to go on a date. We'd go out somewhere. And Jesse, not me, always kept cookies in a cabinet behind the refrigerator. Like we had one of these kitchens where the, this was the living space. There was a wall, and you kind of walk through a wide opening, and then now you're in the kitchen, right? And so the fridge is here, and the cookie cabinet is here, right? And so we didn't tell the kids so they wouldn't go get cookies. Well, now somebody's babysitting our kids and we didn't think the kids knew anything about where the sweets and the cookies were but now we're gone and there's a babysitter and they say babysitter can we have some cookies they say well there aren't any cookies and the kids walk into the kitchen where we never thought they saw and they point to the cabinet and they say mom keeps the cookies right there (laughs) kids have never seen mom or dad go into the cabinet for cookies but the kids knew where the cookies were you following me They pick that up through observation, not for anything that we ever taught them. And I just want you to know that you have kids, even if you don't have any of your own that are here today, you have people watching you. You have young eyes that see everything that you do. And this generation that's coming up after us, they do more watching what you do than listening to what you say. You always heard actions speak louder than words. It's true. There's all sorts of other things that that happen. Um, How do you handle life when it throws you a curveball? Right? We go through days. I know you have those days too where you wake up and you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And then A, B, and C happen and you don't get X, Y, and Z done because life just threw you a curveball. The one thing you needed to get all of your tasks for the day done just broke in half and there's no way to fix it. Everybody's been there. You've got a plan. When you do that plan, that's exactly what you need to get done. Somebody sees the plan go completely awry. And how do we handle it as children of God? Are we pointing our kids in a direction when life goes absolutely wrong to love, honor, and fear the Lord? Or are we teaching them that when something small goes wrong that the world has fallen apart? All sorts of other things. How do you handle it when you get a bad haircut? Anybody ever gotten a bad? Some of you men don't have to worry about this anymore. You ever seen somebody get a bad haircut and it's just the end of the world for them? I say that somewhat to be funny also. How do you handle it? Do you teach your kids to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength when you have the most ridiculous haircut in the world? 
Or do we, do we talk bad about the person who just cut our hair and our kids don't know that we love the Lord, but we know that we are never going there again. Right? You following me? And the story goes on and on. When things get awkward, how do you handle it? Are we encouraging our kids to love the Lord? When you go to do a children's message and all of the deacons clam up, how do you handle it? Right? What do you do? What do you do? Do you encourage everyone to love the Lord or do you get frustrated? You maybe get a little nervous twitch, but, uh, but how do you handle it? That was good, wasn't it? I should make one of them preach right now, shouldn't I? You guys would like that? But he tells us to be diligent in teaching your children to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want to share with you one more thing. Flip over to the book of 1 Samuel, if you would. This is the last scripture that we're going to turn to. Flip over to 1 Samuel. And while you're being diligent, while you're teaching your kids to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, I just want to share with you that they're watching your actions more than they're listening to what you say. But I want to encourage you that the things that you say over and over and over again, your kids are picking up on and other people are picking up on as well. And I want to just, I want you to harness the power of stories in your life, right? Everybody tells stories. So you guys might not have been able to see this, but so Titus is asking, Titus is my son who gave the children's message, by the way, and the deacons are all being quiet. And he says, who's caught the biggest fish? Uh, Jack Powell, even in the midst of everyone's silence, was quick to show everyone that he caught the biggest fish. And Titus says, how big is the fish? And Jack shows him that it's, it's this big of a fish. Maybe even Jack's got a little bigger wingspan than I do, but he's caught this big of a fish. And so even when people are quiet, they're still eager and ready to tell you a story. And I just want you to know that moms, dads, grandparents, aunts, uncles, anybody who has any time that they spend with a child, that child wants to hear your story. That child wants to know how you got where you are right now. That child, whether you realize it or not, wants to know what the Lord is doing in your life and what He has done in your life past tense. There are stories that Jesse and I have that we share with our kids all the time and they want to hear those stories again and again and again because they're exciting. And I want you to see the power of a story here. So I shared with you kind of the backstory of the book of Exodus. So God's people are in slavery through 10 plagues. God brings his people out of slavery and he's taking them to the promised land. There's one thing that happens that all of you know this story. The nation of Egypt is not happy once the Israelites leave. And so the nation of Israel has left. They're walking out to the desert so that they can worship the Lord. And Pharaoh gets angry and Pharaoh gets his army together and he takes the whole army and he begins to pursue the Israelites. Everybody give me a head nod and you know what I'm talking about. He begins to pursue the Israelites. You know the story. He backs them into a corner. The Red Sea is behind him. Moses raises up his hands and he parts the waters. And the whole nation of Israel goes through. God Pharaoh's, hardens Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's army goes marching into the water after them. When all of Pharaoh's army gets in the middle of the Red Sea, Moses puts his hands down and the water comes back over the Egyptian army, the strongest army in the world, and they all die. It's a great kid story, isn't it? Why'd that happen? God did it so that the nation of Israel would know that there's one God in all of the world and that he lived in Israel and it was Israel's God. And then 
You've got to imagine that that story gets passed down and passed down and passed down. Because if you're part of an unarmed group of people that the Lord is leading through the desert, you walk through dry land in the middle of a sea, and then you see the strongest army in the world just get engulfed by water, and you don't have to raise a hand, that's a story that you tell, right? That's a story that you tell to your kids and your grandkids. Listen, I spent four years in the army, and my kids know just about every army story that I have, right? They have favorites. Right? They have ones that they like more than others. Tell me that one again. Tell me that one again. Listen, I don't have anything like a whole army being washed away by God not having to lift a finger. And I want you to see how powerful this story is. Because hopefully you're in 1 Samuel now, chapter 4. Now the nation of Israel has already gone into the promised land. They're occupying the promised land. They're living there. And now they're having a problem with this this neighboring country called the Philistines. Right? The Philistines are where the giants live. Uh, David, excuse me, Goliath was a Philistine. And so now the, the nation of Israel is fighting against the Philistines and they've just lost a battle. They lo- they've lost 3,000 men. And so the nation of Israel has this idea. They pull out of the battle. They go home. They get the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence. And now they come back and they're going to bring God with them into the battle. And they think because they're using the Ark of the Covenant as a good luck charm that they're going to have victory. So 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 5. As the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth resounded. Verse 6. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp. Verse 7. The Philistines were afraid For they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who shall deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. And then they say this, take courage and be men, O Philistines, or you will become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. And so you have this Ark of the Covenant comes into the camp. All of Israel is shouting. And the leaders of the Philistines go, Hey, this is the same God who killed off all the Egyptians. And I just want you to know that this is 600 years later. This isn't just the day before this happened. This is the whole book of Judges happens in between then and now. You're talking about 600 years takes place. And that story had been passed down from generation to generation to generation about how great and how mighty the Lord was. And even people who weren't God's people knew it and they feared. And so, mom and dad, influential person, I just want you to share your story with the kids. You don't have to to tell all the details. Whenever we have a funeral here and people are going to tell funny stories from old, I make sure they know, listen, you can tell it without telling it all. Okay? You don't have to tell your children everything that you walked through before, but let them know that you weren't always the way that you are now. That you lived your life a certain way and you served yourself and then you met a God who loved you so much that He sent His Son to this earth to pay the penalty for all of your sins. You met a God who, when they killed him, he took all of your sins, they put him in a grave, and he didn't stay dead, but three days later he rose from the dead so that you could have eternal life. 
And you make sure that when you're telling this story, that you make sure you tell them that you love the life you have now way more than you loved your life before. And make sure that those kids know that whatever happens to you from this point forward does not matter because when you get to the end, you are looking forward to meeting the Savior of the world. And I'm telling you, gang, the people that look up to you, they'll listen. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for all you're doing through us. Lord, we thank you for all of the children that we've dedicated this morning. Father, I pray that each of them would grow up to know you and to love you and to serve you with all of their heart, soul, and mind. Lord, I pray for their parents that you give them the strength they need to raise godly kids in an evil culture. Lord, I also pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Father, I pray that today would be the day that they put their faith in you to forgive them of their sins. And Father, you give them eternal life. Lord, I pray for each of us also who have people in our lives that we influence. Lord, I pray that you would help us to speak your truth into their lives in a way that would be meaningful, that they can understand, and they can grow from. And so, God, I pray that each person here that has a story to share, I pray you give them the courage to share it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would stand with us, the, uh, some of the kids are going to lead us in a song of invitation. And then Evan Hoggard will close us in prayer. Please stand and let sing You Are My All in All together for the Invitational Hymn. You may be seated. Let's bow our heads. Dear God, thank you for this day and thank all the blessings you have given us. Please bless these mothers and their children to help them raise godly children who follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.